Hey, can we talk? Happy New Year. All right, well, you made it just in time. I'm about to three-way us. I set up a meeting with some counselors so we can talk about mental health. Um, So let me click us over. So, all right. Thank you for joining me, you guys, on Nectophilia Holic Radio. Um, um, I wanted to start off this new year with a new segment and a my first segment called New Year, New Mentality. I hate the New Year, New Me resolution that people do. I feel like it's hard to keep up with um, and it's unrealistic sometimes. So I felt like, you know, the New Year, New Mentality is a better, <laughs> a better slogan to say. Um, and with me, I have Tom and Tom and Lena, <laughs> um, two therapists that I literally searched all over the internet for. Um, one was on Facebook. I joined like a bunch of groups um, and I was stalking everybody. And then, um, the other, I just typed in, uh, I think I typed in like therapists near me. I'm in Rochester, New York. So, um, there was like a bunch and I had to choose from them. And so Luckily, the universe blessed me with these two. Um, I'm going to have them introduce themselves, what they do, what they practice. Um, and I guess they're going to talk about, like, you know, a little bit about how long they've been doing it and what got them into it. So, go ahead. Go ahead, Lena. Ladies first. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. And thank you, Nia. My name is Lena Suarez Angelino. I'm a licensed clinical social worker located in New Jersey. I'm also, I offer online therapy to residents of New Jersey and Florida. I primarily work with teens and young adults, figuring out, you know, where their direction is in life, self-esteem, confidence, uh, anxiety. And I also connect with younger kids too, and using a lot of creative play or, or creative art therapy and helping kind of bridge the gap of thinking outside the box and making therapy just something that is more talked about and more welcoming to everyone. So this conversation is near and dear to my heart, and I'm really excited to see where it takes us today. Thank you. And I'm Tom Propelia. I'm a licensed mental health counselor in Webster, New York, and I'm on the other side of Rochester from Nia. She's over in Brockport. Um, and I've been in private practice since 1997. Um, and, I, and I use a, a technique called emotional freedom technique or tapping. It's... <laughs> I want to learn so much more about that. Okay. I know. Well, gonna, I guess we're going to hear it. Let's go look at this, Mia. The healer just brought us all together. <laughs> I... Uh, so I, I heard about it in a, I read about it in a magazine and I heard a guy talk about it twice and I, and I couldn't wrap my brain around it. And um, I got in trouble snorkeling and had to get rescued. And then they pulled me up on the boat and I started sobbing. I just And fortunately the man that I heard this from and his wife were on the boat. And they said, can we tap on you? And I said, yes. Within five minutes, I'm like this, this whole volcano that erupted was like done. And I was like, what just happened? And I, I need to learn this. about this. Oh, wow. um, so that was, whew, 
that was 98 and I've been doing it ever since and uh, never ceases to amaze me what happens with almost everything and anything. You know, like, I like to work with trial and post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, partly I was on a search for something to, to work with post-traumatic stress disorder because I knew talk therapy wasn't doing a good job and um, I couldn't get uh, EM, certified in EMDR because I didn't have a master's degree at that time. Mm -hmm. And this came along, and I went, "This is it." Um, but you know, not just post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, depression, um, eating eating challenges. So, food people that have like eating disorders, like eating disordered eating, yeah. disordered eating. That's a better way to put it. Yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm addicted to this food or that food or this and that, and so wow. I don't get into the real heavy stuff with the bulimia and the uh, anorexia. It's not that I couldn't, it just doesn't show up at my doorstep and that's okay, fine. Um, so that's the, that's about, that's a little bit about me. And wow. I'm excited to, to learn about what you do, Lena, and this is just cool. Thank yeah. you, oh my goodness, I'm so excited. I was smiling the whole time, I'm like, this is a serious subject, you cannot smile. <laughs> Yeah, for some reason, I always say depression with a smile, like I, it, because it's such a heavy topic or just yeah. therapy and mental health is so heavy. It's having a, a smiling face, having that welcoming heart, you know, it's, it's comforting to those that are in need. It and, is, it is. And finding a way to be playful yeah. in, in session. I can't always do it, but the, the, it, it helps to establish some rapport. It mm -hmm. does, it does. I did therapy and it can be a very, I don't want to say dark, but it can be a very depressing. If you're already depressed, <laughs> therapy can definitely be very depressing on top of it to sit yeah, there and talk about your emotions. Time, yeah. So lots of things get kicked up that you weren't expecting to, to kick up. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're like, what, what is the, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> so trust, I get it. Well, okay. So, oh my God, I have so many questions. Okay. Um, my first one is, um, why do you think therapy is um, necessary? I feel as though therapy is a need for any and everybody, no matter what you're going through. If you don't, I think a lot of people have this uh, misconception that therapy is mainly for people who have issues, like they're going through something. Maybe they, you know, they were sexually abused or uh, <clears throat> they were abandoned by, you know, by their parents as a kid. They always put it with this extreme, like, I guess, um, scenario, when in reality, you can use it for anything. Um, and I saw, I think I saw on your website that you do like new mother therapy, which mm -hmm. I thought was yep. cool. So I it's almost that concept of, you know, the people who are in therapy are, they feel that everybody can benefit from therapy, which is, which is the fact, right? It is the truth. <laughs> Literally, it, it's the, if you know, you know, you know, and so those who have been in it, the tried and true, you know, they think that everyone can benefit from therapy. Yes, there are, you know, you have, every therapist has different styles. I'm sure you can even hear in the podcast, you know, that, that we have different approaches, but we're, we're serving the community, right? We're, we're offering help and support. And that, that's what makes this field and this profession and mental health so astounding because everyone, everyone has mental health just as we have physical health. And what you were saying before, we can't wait until, it's not healthy for us to wait until a crisis occurs 
to start trying to backpedal and reverse everything. We wanna do the work ahead of time to help us manage that, that crisis, manage that stressor so that it doesn't feel as overwhelming. And now you have someone alongside you to help, right? Yeah. We don't have a wellness care system. We got a crisis care system. <laughs> yeah. it, it really, it, we need to turn it around so that, that people are engaged in, in mental health sooner which I read a I read a quote once and I do forget if if it quoted the the author or not but it said we don't want to we want to take care of our wellness before we're forced to take care of an illness mm -hmm. and it, it's so it resonated so much with me and that's really it, it's true <laughs> it, it is yeah. and it's so funny that um you said that Tom because uh I guess piggybacking off what you're saying well, what you were saying. Um, our, I feel like my generation, we are so big on um, mental health. The issue is, however, and I hope everyone takes this offensive, uh, offensively when I say it. We think that we are our own personal gurus, and that is the issue. <laughs> we're all about mental health, but nobody in my, I feel like nobody in my generation is really going to therapists they're trying to do it on their own. They're trying to research the stuff on their own. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I you know, I support that. Definitely, you have to do the homework behind, before you, you know, really commit to it, because it's a commitment. And on top of it, when you're doing this commitment, you do still have to do the work outside of, you know, the sessions. So I commend those people who do it, but you still need a uh, professional on this, you know, with you at the same time. So, I think that's I think that's what really got me into this, you know, the fact that every I mean everyone in my generation is big on on mental health. And their favorite word, this is one of my questions, because I hate this word with a burning passion. Toxicity. We've become so it's like the race card, you know, everybody uses it. Not saying that there isn't racism or all that stuff, but it's become so overused that it's lost its meaning. And I feel like everyone, especially in my generation, we're quick to label something toxic. So my question is like, what are actual toxic or unhealthy um, traits that you can identify? How do you deal with those toxic traits? And so, so toxicity, you know, it, it, it generally means it's an unhealthy environment, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily a safe environment. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that could be emotional safety, it could be physical safety, it could be both. Um, it could, there could be alcoholism or other substance abuse there, which makes it unsafe because when people get high, they, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. When they're sober and things are not cool, if there's an abusive situation going on, you don't know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, if, if people are always bickering, that certainly can be a form of toxicity. Mm -hmm. um, anything to add, Lena? What comes to mind for me is, is Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Everyone, I'm sure by now, most people and most listeners out there are familiar with it. It's our pyramid and we think about our basic needs. Food, shelter, water comes first. We don't have those. We can't move forward. We can't move forward towards the, the safety and, and the love and the connection, right? And, and continuing to work our way up the pyramid. And so that toxicity, it's, and I agree with you in, in everything that, that both of you are saying that toxicity 
you know, we, yes, it, it's almost become desensitized because it's become used so often, right? That now there's a desensitiz desensitization <laughs> of it. <laughs> That's a long word. I don't think I can spell it. No, you're um, fine. <laughs> <laughs> that, but, you know, there, it's overused now. And while it's still valid, it's starting to lose its meaning. It's starting to lose, it, lose its impact. But at, in the same breath, just like we can't determine if the problems that the clients are coming with would be problems for ourselves in our own lives, mm. we also have to be careful with saying, well, that's not an example of something that's toxic. That's because if that's how it's making them feel and that's their perspective and their interpretation, we have to hold space for them for that before we start to kind of build on insight and help them gain perspective in, in other ways and get them to try and see it from a different point of view. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about perception. Even, even trauma is about perception. It's an individual perception and what, what, you know, what you might think is traumatic, I might not. Um, yeah. and it's, there's no right or wrong about it. That's just, it's just is. And I think one of the things so that too is that back in the day, I think the word was dysfunctional. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, and it's moved from dysfunctional to toxic. Yeah. <laughs> and in the, in the, it means the same thing though. Mm -hmm. And I think dysfunctional wore itself out and we needed a new word. Mm. Somebody came up with toxic. Oh yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I think maybe, and honestly, I'm happy that you guys said that it, I do have to learn, you know, what may be toxic for me, maybe, you know, may not be toxic for others. I think I just hate the word now. <laughs> I really just hate the word now. Well, you know, you can say what's unhealthy, what's unhealthy for you. What's unhealthy for me. What's, mm -hmm. what's unsafe for me. Mm -hmm. Because again, it's a matter of personal perception and, and, what's what's my experience on my background what's my history which also informs me or the client as to what's safe and what isn't safe what's healthy what's not healthy what's toxic what's not what's dysfunction what isn't or or is there a gray area there mm -hmm. sometimes it's gray areas and society loves to dictate for you and oh, sure. tell you yeah <laughs> what those where those lines are where you're saying okay toxicity is based off of what that person dealt with and you're saying society loves to tell you you know this is toxic this is toxic this is toxic but at the same time you know when we get into relationships there's the unhealthy relationships or i, I shouldn't do the quotes <laughs> there is such thing as unhealthy but you know you have that you have that standard of this is what you're looking out for when you're in a unhealthy relationship um, so I guess people are starting to get confused because it's like, okay, well, isn't the same thing for toxic or is it, you know, like you guys are saying, um, based off of your background, what happened to you? What do you not want to deal with anymore? You know, it's a continuum. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's, it's just not cut and dry. It's a continuum. It, and from what I learned, psychology is pretty new. So you're, there's always new studies being learned and, um, and, and, new things being proven to help, you know, with mental health. So I think that's, it is pretty, it's pretty hard to be a cut and dry kind of area, huh? And, yeah. and I think the, the question that you want to ask, and I don't necessarily have the answer or the answer is the continuum. It's like, when do we, 
do we kind of, I, brushing it under the rug is not what I want to say, but when do we seek therapy? When do we, you know, bring attention to it and bring it to the surface of, hey, this is a problem I need to bring to the surface and address, you know, with or without my partner or within myself with somebody, with a professional, or is it something that I can kind of swallow and, and work through privately, you know, and kind of when, what's that line? Where's that threshold? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, I know like with anything, cultural, cultural backgrounds do play a key part into, you know, uh, I guess how you function as a, as a human being, mm-hmm. or as, a, as an adult, um, I can speak on the black community. We are definitely known for sweeping under the rug. I'm just going to call it out. <laughs> we are definitely known for sweeping things under the rug. Um, <clears throat> it's called the family secret, if you will. And I think that plays into, you know, a lot of people. Um, I can't speak for other uh, cultures, but I know for the black community, that that's the reason why we are hesitant to, um, you know, have go to therapy. And I guess my, my other question is because of that, like, what is your thoughts on that uh, uh, suck it up kind of mentality or, or philosophy? <clears throat> Not good. <laughs> Not good. Well, because, because when you when you suck it up and you continue to suck it up and suck it up and suck it up, mm-hmm. now there's a lot of internal emotional pressure and pretty soon you're a volcano. Yeah. Something's mm-hmm. got to give. Yeah. So do you go, do you have anxiety? Do you have depression? you manifest it as some kind of illness Mm -hmm. right and that's um you know the ace study made a definite correlation between early childhood traumas and illness later in life Mm -hmm. and the higher your ace score is the more likely you are to develop some illness later in life and by the way a stands for adverse childhood experience (laughs) <laughs> that is an eye-opening survey survey and proceed with caution because really it, yeah wow yeah it's eye-opening let's leave it there would <laughs> 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 you suggest like so say there's a few people um and they're they're trying to get into therapy or they've started their journey would you suggest them you know taking that survey and starting it, you know starting it that way or is it something that you guys I guess professionals only take or do? I do it as part of my intake. Mm-hmm. People can go online and find the survey and take it themselves. I mean, you can't hide anything on the internet anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> out there. I so. think it, it's definitely something that you want to kind of have support in your back pocket, just in case things do get kicked up for you and, and do, you know, realize, oh, that's considered traumatic or that's, con- you know, you recognize, or like that's something that's an adverse childhood experience, mm-hmm. you know, oh, maybe that was, and you start to kind of think about things a little bit differently. I actually uh, created a guide that is is just kind of journal prompts that, and I can share that link with you if you want to share it with, with yeah. your listeners, but it's, you know, what is this triggering event and how did it impact me? How did it impact others? And, you know, what can I do about it? How can other people support me? And any kind of additional thoughts that I have about it, because that's, that's your first step to processing anything that, that feels stressful, anything that feels triggering. And, you know, you might come to the realization, wow, there's more that I want to dig into here. And you can bring that with you to your therapist. You can bring that to your first appointment. It's, 
and it just helps kind of open up and start that conversation. Mm. Yeah, a lot of my clients, when they come in, they don't, I mean, that, that's right on my intake form. They have to fill it out and they have no clue, even though it says right on the top of the page, adverse childhood experience. Uh-huh. And they've got four or five boxes checked off. They have, they still don't have a clue. They, yeah. It's all about education. Yeah. Some of the, some of the work that we do is just about education. I, and I think that's one of the hardest things is identifying what's considered trauma and what's not. But, you know, it's one of those gray areas. What, what is considered trauma? What's not? Um, and then how do you deal with it and cope with it? Well, first of all, trauma is a matter of personal perception. Mm-hmm. Anybody that's been in a combat zone mm. has been traumatized. Mm-hmm regardless of whether they see combat or not. Yeah. I didn't see combat. I was in Vietnam. I didn't see combat. Mm-hmm. But I got traumatized because the, the, the war was all around. Mm. Right? You never knew when Charlie was going to show up. Thank yeah. God he didn't. But it, and it's so it's one of those things. It's like emotional abuse. It's mm-hmm. it's diffuse. There's no specific incident. So it makes it a little bit more difficult to work with. Yeah, okay. I I probably wouldn't have scored high on the PTSD scale, but I would have scored high on the moral injury scale because as I went along and did my work in healing, it's like, well, this is moral injury. This mm-hmm. is not PTSD. This is moral injury. This is something that went against my moral values. Mm-hmm. And so that's a new area that they're working with, with, with veterans is, is the moral injury thing. Um, because and this is the that, first time I'm hearing it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, I, like, wow. <laughs> I heard about it. I heard about it years ago from a man down near Albany. I can't. Oh, Ed Tick, uh, and he worked with a lot of veterans in the in a mythological way. Mm. And he wrote an article back in the early '90s about moral injury. But it's taken a while to get out there to the public to, you know, into the into the therapy community too for people to understand that. That's a different side of what what people are what what's injuring people, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And um, so it shares it shares some common s- symptoms with post traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. but it has its own unique set of symptoms too. Mm-hmm. Like in moral injury, there's more guilt and shame. Okay. Find survival's guilt over there, and you know what you'll find over in trauma is just the the brutality of it mm-hmm. you know that that when you think about it it really raises the hackles on the back of your neck mm-hmm. um and, and it's just it's just brutal and, and a person can have both can okay? anybody um develop it there's a perception out there that it only happens to veterans but how would you know if you have it, you know, because like you said, most people think that it's for veterans. So how do you identify that you have PTSD? It's symptoms assessment. It's, it's just a symptoms assessment tool. It's called the PCLM. Mm-hmm. And there's 17 questions, 17 questions on it. And they rate each question from one to, one to five. Mm-hmm. So that's one way of assessing it and, and determining how much is really there. Mm-hmm. People can have some, so clinical PTSD is 50 and above. 
Mm. And people can have PTSD symptoms below that without having full-blown PTSD. Okay. So could you give us an example of that? Childhood discipline, you know? Oh, a, yeah. Like childhood, childhood discipline. discipline. Sure. Maybe, you know, your gen, our generations, we believed in, in spanking. You know, our parents believed in, in spanking, right? Yeah. Hispanic communities and, you know, <laughs> all the like. And so, you know, somebody raises a hand too quickly and I, you know, can cower a little bit. Right. So that, but I, I fortunately, right. I don't think that if I were to take that survey, that, that questionnaire, I would qualify for clinical PTSD, but it doesn't mean that there's not things to process there and, and to let go of and heal and healing is an ongoing process too. Lifetime. So what she's talking about though is hypervigilance. So there's, you know, a group of symptoms that you can just look at and say, okay, I'm hypervigilant. I'm not sleeping well. Mm -hmm. uh, I have nightmares or I have recurring flashback or I have intrusive memories that show up, you know, memories that I'm just happy and get, you know, gay and having a good, good old time. And all of a sudden, bam, this memory shows up and it's painful. That's yeah. an intrusive memory as opposed to a nightmare or a flashback. Okay. You know, flashback, you're, you're actually reliving it in the moment. Mm. So people can have those without having um, mm. clinical PTSD. Mm. In fact, when, when we did the research on emotional freedom technique with the veterans, the veterans had to be 50 or above on, on, the, on the PCLM. And I had to turn some away because they were 47, 48, and 49. So are they changing that now? You know, if you're not a 50, um, will they still well, take you in? Because it's research, there has to be some standards. Mm -hmm. And so what I would do was, was say, did you have this on, did you fill this out on a good day or a bad day? And say, <laughs> good day. Right, here's another form. Go fill it out on a bad day. Come bad back day. and see me. 10 or 15 points higher. Oh, wow. So, you know, it's even with anxiety, even with depression, it can vary from day to day. It can mm -hmm. vary from season to season. Holiday times are really bad. Mm -hmm. And after the year that we've had, you know, I'm sure oh. people would be scoring <laughs> slightly <laughs> higher. <laughs> you know, A lot higher. Than past we're just, years. <laughs> we're just starting to see the fallout and I, and it's gonna, I think it's going to get worse. And I and I'm so happy you guys brought that up because so I would say a lot of my friends who have depression during this like COVID or pandemic, it has been tremendously terrible for them. You're staying in the house, you're all you're seeing is four walls. What are some um obviously I mean, you know, we're hopefully we may not need these this this advice, you know, this year, but uh, we don't know. But what are some um things to help with, uh, you know, I guess dealing with depression or coping with depression. Um, I know they say activities, routines, those, those things help, but what are other things that could help um, someone dealing with anxiety or depression? I would definitely say spiritual practice of meditation, mm -hmm. getting out in nature. Um, I don't know what the weather's like down in New Jersey, but it gets pretty cold up here. <laughs> it's pretty cold here too. <laughs> Where about in New Jersey area? Uh, in the Woodbridge area, Central Jersey. Where okay. I'm about probably like 40 minutes away from Manhattan. 
Okay. Yeah, so you can cold. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, we're cold. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. So, so getting out of the house, even if it's going for a walk or going for a ride, um, getting out of the house, having a spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. um, anything you want to add, Lena? Not to not to do another shameless plug, but I, it's you know, I also created a, a little guide. It's you know, five ways to a new normal, and you know, it taught it elaborates on the being kind to ourselves that's the most important right practicing that self-compassion because and i know that that sounds like silly or how does that connect but you know when someone has depression or anxiety all those coping skills almost got stripped away from them right you can't go to the gym you can't go see friends you can't you know go out to eat you can't leave your house you know and so it everyone all the buildup that we've been working with all of our clients are just people that have found oh this helps me get through my day or my my week or whatever yeah they they got abruptly stopped right yeah. and so just practicing that that kindness recognizing hey this is really tough and this is a really difficult time so i need to pull in all stops right i need to pull in all of these different things it's still trying to stay connected the routines are important the spiritual out, spirituality practice. It was something that I actually got more involved into this past year as well, because I almost feel like this forced us to slow down a little yeah. bit yeah. and to really reflect. And I think why people have had an especially hard time is we're not comfortable with the silence. We're not comfortable yeah. with our own thoughts. We distract ourselves with work and kids and extracurricular activities and yeah. the you name it it's you know they would rather do all of that and 10 times than yeah. sit home in a room by themselves with no tv oh, <laughs> or, yeah. and no distraction right right because yeah. it's scary for them it is, it is. and the other yeah. thing the other thing too is to maintain um you know a good sleep routine and mm. good good nutrition uh, and good nutrition from my perspective because we're like north of Philadelphia, mm -hmm. is is the take a vitamin D supplement. <laughs> yeah, everybody north of Philadelphia is vitamin D deficient. But you know, it, it is finding another routine. It is kind of hard. It is. I will I will admit that. Um, so, but for okay, so for depression, this is something that I struggle with with my family, and I hate it so much. I mean, it's annoying because I have to keep trying to like explain it to them, but. For people who don't know what depression is, I guess, one, can you explain what it is? And two, explain why people get depressed um, depressed, and what are some ways to help um, a friend or family member that uh, has been diagnosed with depression or has depression? Because I get a lot, like with my family, they'll say stuff like, well, why are you upset? What, what triggered you to be upset and get in this mood or this mode or this, you know? And I'm like, it's not anything that triggered me it's just you know i just get i just got upset i woke up today and i was just i wasn't feeling good today um nothing really happened i had a great day i woke up at five in the morning and i did yoga and i came back in and i was sad so i guess what would be your advice um as far as handling someone with depression or even yourself um with if someone else if someone is dealing with depression de yeah, depression themselves yeah for me depression is a tricky a tricky thing to work with. I don't know mm -hmm. about you. I agree. Yeah. To work with because there could be any number of things that trigger it, including lack of sunlight, 
um, mm -hmm. poor nutrition. It could be, you know, there's hidden beliefs that are ruminating around and it gets triggered, but you're not aware that it's triggered. Mm. Um, they don't teach you in school about the veil, the veil of depression. It's this mm -hmm. thin veil that weighs a ton. And that's kind of how I explain it to a lot of my clients is, you know, that's almost where that chemical imbalance comes in. That's where that science of medication and, you know, brain remapping and re reorganizing and rewiring comes into play because it's this chemical imbalance that kind of happens. And it just, it, it's that dark cloud, right? That kind of covers over us until that veil is lifted. It gets really hard to try and feel motivated to do anything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and that's where, you know, I think that's another part. And I know you didn't ask this, but it, it comes up for me a lot is if I start therapy, does that mean I'm automatically starting to take medication? No, mm -hmm. I can't prescribe. Tom can't prescribe medication. It's not an automatic, you know, oh, just, I don't want to take medication. You don't have to take medication when you're with us. You know, it's not a requirement for therapy. There are times where symptoms, again, that veil can't be lifted. Okay, let's consider talking to a psychiatrist. Let's yeah. consider talking to your primary doctor to help us at least lift the veil so that the coping skills you're learning about with us can actually be tried and practiced. Right, and you right. have the motivation to do so. Right. But you're never going to get a one, like a this happened and this happened, so this, I will feel this way. Mm -hmm. It's not linear. Yeah. No, it's, it's probably in, in the realm of, in the realm of daily mental health stuff, it's probably the most difficult thing to deal with, mm -hmm. you know, barring the schizophrenia and barring the extreme bipolar, multiple personality DID. Okay. It's probably the most difficult to deal with. But again, like, like Lena said, I, I rarely rarely recommend medication because most people are like i don't want to be on it yeah like yeah mm -hmm. been yeah. there done that it's not pleasant mm -hmm. um so we do the do as much work as we can to to minimize you know them getting out of out in, on a medication but again once in a while there's just yep we need some help here we you need to talk to a psychiatrist you need to you know consider medication and it's 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 temporary it's not permanent it's temporary yeah and that that little piece right there when you say it's temporary that kind of like tips the balance a little bit oh really i don't have to be on for the rest of my life yeah, oh, yeah. No. it sounds better it's like oh okay 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 <laughs> even yeah. the feelings that we're feeling reminding ourselves it's temporary right mm -hmm. i think it's it's also important for our listeners to know that there's different types of treatment so maybe the one, the once a week or once every other week isn't cut for an hour, isn't cutting it. Maybe you need more support. Maybe you need to try and find a group. I think, yeah. you know, again, 2020 has op threw open the doors for online therapy and online oh. support groups and virtual connection, right? But maybe we need more than that. Maybe it is a program three days a week, five days a week, and that's okay. Maybe it's a residential treatment for some time, but it doesn't mean every person that walks through my door also, you know, will, will end up having to go to the hospital. No, right? But there's, there's different levels of support. 
And so that I think also helps too, it's that accountability. I don't remember if it was pre the recording <laughs> that we're having or, or during, but, but at some point you had talked about the work that has to be done outside of therapy, right? Yeah. And it's so true. And that's, again, a lot of the other people, other symptoms, right? The people with schizophrenia, people with bipolar disorder, anxiety, they're, they're trying to practice the skills. But again, that veil for someone who has such, such severe depression, even to get them to start trying to do the work outside of therapy is tough. And that's why those higher levels of care, that extra additional support, or even creating that support system within themselves with other, with family and friends is so important. So now Tom, you talked about um, medication. Oh, well, you both talked about medication. <laughs> but um, so I saw on your website, right? Um, it talked about, uh, what was it? Sorry, I wrote down all my notes. Um, <laughs> chemical dependency, that's what it was, chemical dependency. Um, and because we talked, we touched a little bit about medication. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen it, and I know this is out of your, I guess, field, but I would, ho I, I hope that you can give me a little bit of insight on it. Um, they're called CBD cigarettes. They're used for like anxiety, depression, um, muscle relaxers. I, I don't know if you guys have seen it. Um, it's like an alternative to- I haven't seen the CBD cigarettes. I, I'm familiar with CBD oil and there's CBD gummies and CBD gum and- Yeah, they're the CBD uh, cigarettes. So they, they almost look like um, a blunt. <laughs> they almost look like- <laughs> Yeah, I'm not even gonna sit here and lie. It looks definitely just like a blunt. Okay. Um, you know everyone's gonna Google it after they listen. <laughs> <laughs> And it's a <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it definitely smells like one too. So, um, and the only reason I found out about it is because um, I have uh, someone that's close to me that deals with anxiety, and so they use it. Um, and then another person that's close to me, they have, um, uh, they use it for a, mus a muscle relaxer. But I guess my question is, do you think um, CBD? and uh, weed are alternatives to like drugs like Lexipro. Um, because then I guess on your website, it talks about how um, you can become addicted uh, to, to, you know, drugs. Um, people who have, um, I think like, what did it say? Depression um, or anxiety, they're more likely to become addicted to drugs. Um, I guess, so that's my question. Because a lot of people use CBD uh, cigarettes and the CBD oils and weed as a alternative to um, these medications like Lexipro. Cause like you said, I was on it and it, it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. So. So uh, like, like other substances, mm -hmm. this, is, this is my opinion. Mm -hmm. Like other substances, I think CBD is an aid that can help us at times when we need it. Mm -hmm. But we can't become dependent on it because then we're not doing the work. We're not finding out what's the real cause of the depression. What's the real cause of the anxiety? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I saw an article one time where somebody said, well, I've taken CBD oil and I've completely, um, it's completely eliminated my PTSD symptoms. And I went, okay, great. But what's going to happen if you stop taking the CBD oil? Yeah. Okay. My guess is the symptoms are going to come back. Mm 
so, because oh. that's all about a lot of this stuff, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, hypervigilance. It, it's all about the primitive brain and the limbic system and the fight, flight, freeze survival mechanism. And so CBD oil can calm that down. That's mm -hmm. all well and good. But if, and it's the same with medications. Medications can calm that down, especially the benzos can calm that down. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a cover-up. Yeah. You really have to do the work to find out what's the underlying cause. And I think it's being careful with not self-medicating, right? We talked about distraction before. Even, yeah. you know, the use of going to the gym, while it's that's considered healthy, right? It's what are, if we're doing it in, to avoid or doing it to distract, it's, it's a self-medication and it becomes right. unhealthy, right? right? So it's, it's making sure that if someone wants to use the route of CBD or weed or marijuana to help ease some of those symptoms, making sure that they're, they're meeting with a doctor, meeting with a professional, and you know, have the, the, the right intentions behind it and simultaneously doing the work behind the scenes as well. Because as Tom said, what happens when you stop taking it? What happens if it's not available to you? Yeah. Then you haven't built the skills in your toolbox that don't require medication or marijuana or CBD. So it's safe to say that, you know, you, ha you do have to do the therapy. You know, if you're going to do these alternative uh, drugs or, or if you will, <laughs> or plants, because everybody says it's not a drug, plants, <laughs> um, you do have to do the therapy alongside. You can't just do, you know, therapy. Well, I mean, you no, let me not give advice. Let me not do that. <laughs> I was going to say, um, you can't, you can do the therapy and not take the drugs. But like you guys said before, um, it depends on, you know, I guess the, the progress you're making. Um, but well, hopefully you make more progress and the, the need for the, mm -hmm. the self-medication uh -huh. decreases. I mean, it's, it's the same with substance abuse. Really? Mm. So do you think that putting, um, I, and I don't want to scare people when I answer this question, especially if you're thinking about going into therapy, but do you feel as though um, the drugs that they prescribe, like Le the Lexipro, and I only bring up Lexipro because it's the only one I know about, but <laughs> um, Lexipro, uh, do you think that people become like chemical dependent on it or, or like a depend, have a dependency on that drug um, after a while or... Because I, I don't know what would uh, be considered a chemical de dependency and how would you, I guess, get to that point? So That's it's hard to get off SSRIs. There's a lot of side effects that happen when you're, when you're getting off the SSRIs. So in a manner of speaking, yeah, they could become addicted to it. Hmm. You always want the guidance of your doctor, your prescriber to help you cut back and you know not doing it all at once or especially doing it on your own because right. of all the other side effects right. you definitely cannot stop it cold turkey oh, you have wow. to titrate it down um, so from that standpoint yeah it could be people could get addicted to it you know there might be some rebound when they get off of it back into some depressive mode or some anxious state mm -hmm. but again if you do the work mm -hmm. And it's a balancing, 
sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> it's a it's a balancing scale too, you know, is a little bit of weight gain so that we can have a little bit more clarity and energy to, you know, do the work that we're learning in therapy mm-hmm. for that, again, that, that temporary, you know, release of, of a, you know, temporary experience of a side effect worth it so that I can continue to move forward and eventually work my way off of the medication. Mm-hmm. To me, it's a no brainer, right? But other people can have different opinions. So then for people who don't want to take that route, right, of taking an actual prescripted uh, drug, what are some alternatives? That, are there any alternatives that they could do? Um, I know a lot of people are doing holistic uh, medicine therapy and all that stuff. So are there any alternatives that they can do as far as, um, you know, medication as alongside therapy, of course? So there's some nutritional supplements that might be beneficial mm-hmm. and it's going to be on an individual basis, whether they work or not. Mm. And for, for anyone listening, I, I'm almost like brought back to school because we used to kind of ask the similar questions and, and you yeah. know, well, what happens if this, and the response would always be, it's on a case by case basis, <laughs> which is so true because it, it really is so individualized. And that's why you have it. Yes. Okay. Do we sound biased? Because we're like, go to therapy. We're therapists, obviously. But like, you know, it, it really is such an individualized experience. So it's not a one size fits all. So what supplements might work for somebody might not work for somebody else. You know, some people love aromatherapy and other people are like, absolutely not. Like that does not work for me. So, you know, it's just really trying to figure out what works best for you. What combination of stuff works for you. You might try 10 million, 10 medications before you find that the 11th one is what works for you. And people just don't have the patience or the tolerance to do it because they want Yeah, they want results now and therapy and medication really just are not that they're not your aspirin that you take to relieve a headache. No, it's not. And especially because it takes, you know, somewhere between four and eight weeks for the medications to kick in. Mm -hmm. But again, it's a, it's a roll of the dice, you know? Yeah. Do you get the right one the first time or do you have to go to another one? Do you have to go to another one? Do you have to have a combination? Yeah. It's not a it's not a cookie cutter thing. I wish it was, but it isn't. Yeah, I read somewhere there was a quote. It was like, if healing and therapy um, was as easy as one, two, three, you're not doing it right. And I was like, that is so true. <laughs> it's, it's true. true. <laughs> and it's, it's one, two, A, B, Z. <laughs> and then you Heart start. You. <laughs> it's terrible. It's a terrible process. Before you ask your next question, I just want to say thank you for having me here. I do have to run, but I appreciate it. And I look forward to connecting and continuing this conversation at another time. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. Take care. Okay. Bye. 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 I'm going to have to to drop off here in a few minutes. Okay. Thank you so much, Tom. You're You're amazing. All right, Nidal, that was an amazing conversation. I love talking about mental health. So definitely stick around and pick up the phone for part two. I'm out. I'm going to bed. Good night. Peace.